0: The weird thing about this year was that there were so many albums that came out that were sort of pre-labeled as capital I important albums, right. um, and they were going to get good reviews no matter what, and they were like already written in in pen on the year-end list uh, <laughs> as soon as they came out.
1: Ninety-three X presents the Celebration Rock Podcast.
2: up here. I'm in heaven.
3: This is the Celebration Rock podcast presented by 93XFM here in Minneapolis. I'm your host, Stephen Hayden. This is our hiatus from the hiatus episode. It's a special year-end thing. Uh, You know, like, if you're a listener of this podcast, you know that I'm taking a break right now. Um, And we'll be back in early 2017. But I, I could not let... The end of 2016 happened without doing a special podcast. So I called two of my good friends, Ian Cohen and Rob Mitchum, uh, to talk about the year in rock in 2016. And I had a lot of fun talking to those guys. Um, Before we get to that, though, I just want to say again, you know, we've been on hiatus now again since October. So about two months feels like longer than that. I feel like it's been a long time since I talked to you guys. And I miss doing the podcast, but, you know, I've been pretty busy. I had a daughter in November. It's my second child, um, and she's been doing great. Um, I've also been working on my book. It's called Twilight of the Gods. It's about classic rock mythology and sort of the end of the classic rock era uh, that's impending. Uh, um, I've been working hard on that. I've got, I think, 14 chapters done or so, so I've got about three chapters left to go. So uh, that book has been great, um, but I'm very excited to get back to doing the podcast. I think we're looking at February for a return, and um, we have something really special planned for our first bunch of episodes. We're going to be doing a sort of a limited run series. It's going to be six to seven episodes. It's going to be on one topic, um, and I'm not going to share what it is yet, but uh, it's pretty exciting, and I'm 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 I'm, I'm I'm pretty psyched about what this thing could be. I think you guys are going to really enjoy it. And then after that, we'll be back doing sort of normal Celebration Rock episodes, talking with writers and musicians from the continuum of rock music. Everyone from punk to emo to country rock to jam rock to metal to rap rock. I don't think I've had a rap rock group on yet, but I... I think I would. Like a system of a down wants to come on. A system of a down, technically rap rock, would you say? I don't know. I'm looking at my uh yeah, my my man Derek manning the board gave me a thumbs up. So maybe we'll have them on at some point. Um, but yes, before we get to all that, we're doing this special episode on the on, on the year-end in, in in rock music. We're going with Ian, I talked about some of our favorite rock records of the year as well as sort of the state of rock music in 2016. And we're both very optimistic of where the music is at right now. But we also talked about some of the sort of think pieces that have come out lately about, you know, rock being relevant or rock being dead. You know, those think pieces always seem to appear at some point in the year. Um, But it seemed really weird this year when there were so many great young bands coming out uh, to see that stuff. So Ian and I talk about that. And then Rob comes on a little bit later and it, Rob compiles every year this this spreadsheet that tabulates all of the year-end rankings from all the year-end lists. And he ends up with this sheet that kind of figures out like what the consensus favorite records of the year were by the big music publications. And it's a great way to kind of see what the consensus is and also a great way to see how these publications go about making their lists and and, and what ends up sort of being i think in some cases sort of a stagnated collection of records uh this year in particular there were about 10 to 15 records that seemed to appear at the top of every list it was only a matter of how they were ranked in the end and um i talked about that with rob as well Uh, i think that was an interesting conversation so good podcast here good year end good way to kind of reflect on the last uh 11 and a half months or so, and uh, hopefully look forward to an even better 2017. So uh, here's my first guest. This is Ian Cohen. All right, so I'm going to kind of go on a short monologue here about the year in rock in 2016, and I'm going to throw to you to get your thoughts, because I'm sure you'll have a lot. Um, yeah. You know, I thought this was a year that will be interesting to think about in five to ten years. Um, because I feel like in terms of rock bands, the the records that really kind of stood out were made by young up-and-coming bands. And I'm thinking of records that were on both of our lists ranking high. You know, Car Seat Headrest, Mitski, The Hotel Year, Pine Grove, Pup, Joyce Manor. These are all bands that are still relatively early in their careers. The band members are still in their 20s. You could argue that they are still in the process of sort of establishing who they are. Um, there weren't a lot of legacy bands making records in 2016, or at least not significant records. Radioheads, A Moonshaped Pool, is sort of the exception to that. But for the most part, we're talking about great rock records. They were made by young up-and-coming bands who I think in five to ten years' time will know whether Car Seat Headrest, Pine Grove, the hotel year, if, if they have a body of work or if this sort of represents their peak and they, and they fizzle out after this. Um, in that respect, I think 2016 was a really exciting year. I think it's always a good thing when you have young bands making great records, when they're ascendant, when you're not just relying on sort of the same five or six bands that you already know and love to create records that that you're going to care about and be passionate about. Um, to me, I found myself discovering more bands or getting excited about more young bands than I have in a lot of recent years. Um, so to me, it was a very exciting year, sort of a, I don't want to say a rebirth year, but um, a lot of exciting things going on. Um, I can't help contrasting this feeling that I have with some of the mainstream press coverage that I've been seeing. Um, You know, it's a very weird time in the media uh, when it comes to discussing rock music. You know, towards the end of 2016, we had think pieces run in places like the New York Times and in Billboard, going over sort of the same old question about whether rock is still relevant or If rock is dead, you know, in in the New York Times, uh, rock was compared to jazz. Uh, I believe that the writer called rock creatively stagnant. Um, In Billboard, it was this question, again, of relevancy. And of course, relevancy, the word relevant to me is the most overused word in music criticism. Uh, It's also among the most ambiguous. I'm never quite sure what the writer means when they talk about relevancy. Although I think it's clear when we talk about rock music... In 2016, what that is talking about is the commercial popularity of rock music. The idea that there doesn't seem to be a figurehead band that is as popular as a Beyonce or uh, you know a Taylor Swift or any or Adele or any of the sort of mammoth-sized pop stars. Um, but to me, when we talk about relevancy, it's really a two-sided issue. Uh, the first issue uh, for me. Obviously, is popularity, and, and it does matter when we talk about music what kind of impact it has, how many people are hearing it, how it's influencing the culture. That's obviously important, but it's not the only thing that makes something relevant. There's also the artistic and creative qualities of, of, of records, and what's disturbing to me is when we're talking about these great young bands that are coming out, the idea that they're not relevant because strictly because they're not popular, and the idea that we're not maybe paying attention as much to the, to the artistic merit or the creative merit. Uh, because to me, to describe rock music as being creatively stagnant, um, it's it's confounding to me. I don't think that there's ever be a, been a time when there have been more bands making more different kinds of music than there is right now. Um, You know, on this podcast, I've tried to represent that diversity in some way. You know, I've had punk bands on. I've had arena rock bands on. I've had jam bands on and metal band people and country rock people. But that's just a small tip of the iceberg. Um, We also have more different kinds of people making rock records. I think it's safe to say that right now, rock music has never been friendlier to, to women. I think clearly in 2016, some of the biggest or at least some of the best rock records were made by women. Uh, you have more gay artists making great rock records. You have more lesbian, more, more transgender artists making great rock records. Um, so it's never been more diverse in that way. Um, and yet we're kind of caught in the mainstream media again on this sort of idea of where we're only going to define relevance in a strict way. Uh, and We're only going to compare every artist to only the biggest artists that there are. Um, I don't know. It's very, it's very mystifying to me. Um, it's troubling to me. Um, I don't know. The, the, what do you think of all of these things I've just said? Like, what is your take yeah. on this?
1: Well, you know, I mean, man, you said, you, I mean, you pretty much summed it all up. I, I don't see why I need to talk you know, right now. <laughs> I think that, um, well, first off, we have to see that rock uh, decline is uh, directly attributable to celebration rock going off the air for like what six months.
3: Well, it it feels that long. It's only been a couple months, but yes, Uh, yeah.
1: But I think you summed it up, you know, especially with um, when when the one that stood out to me uh, when you talk about uh, the articles, one wrote by Carl Wilson, uh, where it talks about is rock relevant anymore? And you know, I never begrudge authors for a title uh, because oftentimes they don't come up with it. And when you when you read it, when you read into it, he like makes the argument that like there are um, pretty vital bands out there, but when it comes down to it, like is rock relevant is based primarily on its popularity. And it's really an unfair battle. I mean, you know, when you, when you look at it, especially in 2016, like you can compare it to, you know, like in the mid nineties, when Eddie better could be on the cover of, I believe it was time magazine. Um, and you can get bands like that, but you know, rock radio and MTV and like all these channels, which could be used to, um, you know, promote rock music have kind of gone by the wayside. And, you know, there are popular rock bands. I mean, like you want you I mean, Metallica, you know, Green Day, but they're all kind of legacy bands. But I think the, um, the interesting thing that you, you point, uh, you pointed out earlier was that it was 2016 was a tremendous year for youngish rock bands. I think, and interestingly enough, those bands also had really great years in 2014 as well. Um, You know, you look at, like, Joyce Manor or the hotel year, I mean, like, a lot of people would say their records in 2014 represent the peak of their careers. Um, Same with, like, Modern Baseball or Mitski, for that matter. Um, And I think what we're leading towards is, like, you know, you you were talking about, like, the legacy band. um, That that was missing. In 2017, we are going to get all of those bands back, so it's very interesting to see how this plays out because there's going to be a new LD Sound System record, there's going to be a new Arcade Fire record, new Fleet Foxes record, new Vampire Weekend record, probably new National record, probably new Spoon record. I mean, it goes on and on and on, and it'll be very interesting to see how, um, you know, whether or not we get the same sort of is rock dead, is rock stagnant, is rock relevant, uh, angle with all these bands who are already huge coming back. I mean, they're not obviously on the same level as, um, you know, Beyonce or Taylor Swift or what have you. Um, but, you know, they're popular enough where they have like a, you know, they can all easily debut at number one
3: well, uh, at, on when Well, I just wonder, like, what is the uh, the baseline, I guess, for impact or popularity? I mean, are we only going oh. to compare... Artist to like the very biggest artists that there are. I mean, Tim, um, like, like, I like Beyonce is like the rogue one or the, the force awakens, you know, like mm-hmm. it, she has a blockbuster. Like, yeah. uh, is there also room for like Manchester by the sea <laughs> type oh,
1: things? Of course. Well, of course. I, I think there is, but, um, you know, I, I think what it is a lot of times with, um, you know, rock with like rock music specifically. I mean, you can argue that, um, you know, the Manchester just survived the sea of this past year was something like, I don't know, Miski or Angel Olsen or um, something like that. Um, you know, artists that I would say, like, you know, you would qualify them as, like, rock artists, but, you know, not in the, not in the same sense that you would classify, like, I mean, Miski, you know, comes from a punk background, and, like, that album, like, legitimately rocks in a lot of places, but, you know, um, I, I, I think with I think with, like, rock music, it's just more, it doesn't really have, you can't really talk about it to the same degree that you can with, like, you know, pop music, like, because, you know, they're just not good at creating content, like, um, and moreover, you know, when you look at, um, you know, like, you know, uh, let's say, like, Beyonce, or, um, you know, I know really keep bringing her up, but, you know, also, like, Frank Ocean, for example, or Kanye West, or Drake, I mean, you know, they're, they're, it's easy to say that like rock music is stagnant compared to that because you know rock, rock sorry, rap, uh, pop music generate uh, so regenerate so much more quickly, uh, and you know that and you know a rock band can only come out with a record you know for the most part every two years, and you know also I think we have to look at 2016 as being a very special year in terms of the fact that it was our first uh, Kanye. 2013, first Beyonce record since 2013, first Frank Ocean record since 2012, you know, first Boney Baron radio head album since 2011, you know, all, a lot of things that can't really happen again next year, as far as I know. And it reminds me of like the discussion we had about two, in 2005, where, um, you know, what we consider to be the, the, the creative and commercial peak of indie rock when there really wasn't any sort of counterbalance from, you know, pop artists. I mean, you know, Mariah Carey, I believe had the biggest selling record of that year, but she wasn't the same, you know, music wasn't covered the same. And she wasn't the same sort of cultural force, I would say, Uh, the same with like Usher now. So I think it leaves 2017 open for, um, you know, perhaps a, a chance to take if not rock music seriously, but like, the idea, you know, these Manchester's of the sea, if you will, <laughs> uh, more seriously. I mean, um, it'll, it'll be interesting. I mean,
3: I mean, w- what what bothers me a little bit is I, you know, like when I see these like "rock is dead" type think pieces. What bothers me is is the lack of curiosity, you know, sure. because they are because what I feel like the writers are doing in these cases is that they're only looking at what's at the top. And yeah. they're comparing, uh, you know, and, you know and, and they're looking, and they're essentially judging rock music by by pop music standards. You know, the idea that like rock is dead because there aren't any rock singles like in the top yeah. Billboard top ten, or that, um, you know, that, that they're not generating they're the type of buzz. Like to me, because if we're going to talk about things being stagnant, um, to me that again, that's a purely sort of what what that's really about is is sort of talking about buzz, you know, the, yeah. the sort of buzz that's created from a combination of sort of statistical dominance, you know, whether it's Spotify streams or record sales, and also the amount of chatter that records generate from music writers or from, you know, the sort of content creators. And, um, you know, it disturbs me that, it's become so fixated on such a few handful of artists. Um, I mean, like, I'm going to have Rob Mitchum on later on in this podcast to talk about top 10 lists this year uh, and and, and that whole thing. I mean, I think there's always a complaint at the end of years when people look at lists and they see the same records over and over again and it gets a little boring. I mean, it seemed more so this year. And it seemed that uh, it wasn't so much about talking about records, but about narratives. And I'm going to rank my favorite narratives of the year, or the most, what I feel are the most important narratives of the year. Well, yeah. And uh, I don't know. To me, it's just oppressive. And <laughs> It ends up, yeah. I think, locking out a lot of artists who are doing great things, who get sort of glommed into this area where they're not considered relevant. You know, it's like, well, you're, you're not on this playing field, so you don't matter, um, and yeah. that disturbs me when I see that. I, I feel like that is growing.
1: Um, yeah, I mean, I feel it's growing as well. But I think at the same, like it, when I, when I, when I look at it as a whole, like when I, when I look at you know the, the the sum total uh you know if you want to use like year end list as like a kind of um you know, like kind of a like a marker by which you know the year can be judged. I mean, if you look at like. The band, like, you know, rock music had a pretty, uh, pr- uh, like, you, there are a lot of, like, new bands on those lists. I mean, like, you, like uh, it, 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 pro- it probably can't be, like, 2005, where, you know, like, Pine Grove can go from making this record to, like, you know, headlining, like, you know, like, being a big font festival act or, you know, the like, there aren't any bands that, I would say, won the year to the degree that, like, War on Drugs or Future Islands did in 2000. 14. um i just don't know if that really happened but um you know maybe that's what happens the next album cycle um you know it's, what i it for me it's like what do i want to see from these bands you know like i would love for you know a band like the hotel year to come like the new arcade fire or something like that or to have that but you know this the question becomes is it you know or, like, Joyce Manor, for that matter. It's like, is it because there's like a failure among the music press, or is there a fail, like, or are people just not feeling them to that degree? And, you know, that's the thing I wonder. Uh,
3: well, I think it's also, I mean, you know, the hotel year, they might be as big as they want to be. You know, I think yeah, the- well, that,
1: that, that. Yeah, they're, they're interesting because, like, they're, they're pretty, I would say, generally speaking, they're not, like, the most um, careerist band. Uh, you know, and the same goes for a lot of ones on that level. But, you know, you also look at a band like State Symbols, the Guitars we brought up, who are, I would say, like, they want success. Um, and I think that the frustrating thing for people like you and I, um, not not put words in your mouth, is, like, you know, what, what it do, does, like, the music press owe, like, the listener to, like, you know, look at, and, you know, but the same token, they say, you can say, well, you know, a guitar band, is that really that interesting when we we'll could be exploring you know, like um, other like genres and electronic music and things like that. So I mean, it's I think that it's, it's 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 just frustrating to see. I mean, people say like you know rock is irrelevant or rock is dead or whatever. But I think on the whole, um, if it, it with the exclu- like with the exclusion of a couple places, like it's pretty healthy right now. I mean, and also you have to look at like the people who wrote... Like, how old were the people who wrote, you know, that New York Times article or, like, the one, or, like, Carl Wilsons, or whatever? Like, you don't often, I don't think you often see that being voiced by, like, younger people. Right. Uh, uh, You know, but, you know, it, it, it was a year for, you know, the younger bands to come up. And, you know, I'm just curious to see, like, what their ceiling is, because, I mean... Especially now with, like, like liking these bands and, like, being, like, you know, right around critically, it's almost akin to being, like, an advocate for them, you know? (laughs) Right. And and just because, like, you know what they're up against. Like, it's hard for a band like Puff or, like, a band like Jeff Rosen or, like, a guy like Jeff Rosenstock to really, um, you know, if it's, you know... The, the biggest band, like, the, the indie breakouts from this year, like, for example, like, if you want to look at, like, Misty and, like, Car Headrest, those are the two I'd pick out as, like, the winners. I mean, they were, they were hand-delivered to a certain degree, to um, you know, the music press. I mean, like, they've they, they, they put in work beforehand. Uh, they've made a bunch of... But, like, by the time they come out, like, they had a very established narrative. They had, you know, they came from very trustworthy record labels. Um, you know, they had sound, a sound that was easily, um, you know, easily put within the indie rock lineage. Um, so you didn't really have to go out on a limb. Um, but you know, like a lot of the best rock music, and I think this is where, you know, one of the things we talk about is it comes from what I would consider to be like non-traditional sources, you know, um, you know, it's not coming from, uh, you know, your merge or matadors or, um, you know, or New York City or, you know, Austin or Chapel Hill or whatever. And, um, and as, as you can see, like, you know, by the by 2016, like, people were all like going back, oh, yeah, never hung over again. That was a classic, you know, home like no places, they're classic. And it's like, but y- you rarely saw people saying that when they came out. Um, and I think that's really where um, the, the issue comes about for, you know, like like I mean Jeff Rosenstock's worry, I, I think all, I think people already kind of kind of acknowledge that like, yeah, this record a this record's a classic. Like, you know, this is an incredible piece of work. But like no you didn't really if you if you look back on like the two thousand sixteen year end and so forth, you won't see it on there. And I think that's really where the work the you know the worries come about with like how the press treats Rock music and like you know what's a band to do if like they're not already like fast tracked for success, you know?
3: Right. Well, and you know it, it's funny that you mentioned Car Seat Headrest and Mitski because those were my two uh, top two records of the year. And while I I see what you mean about them sort of being hand delivered, you know, you still got to make a great record. You know, and like you know and will toledo certainly made like 11 records before this one on Bandcamp, so it wasn't like he was just some kid that got plucked to be an overnight sensation and uh by
1: the way like you know this record's like light years better than anything he'd ever done but you know what i mean is that it you don't really have to go out on a limb for a guy like him the way um you know maybe you had to for you know a like, a band like Broken Social Sheet or whatever in the past, or um, you know, it's it, you can look at it and like, you know, you're looking at it like you know the draft or whatever, where it's like, oh yeah, this guy's getting the proper amount of pipe, and uh, you know, he's got what he's got, you've he's, he's got it together, you know. Well, if that, if that makes any sense.
3: Well, you wrote a story for Spin, talking uh-huh. about the year in emo, and uh-huh. and correct me if I'm wrong, but the nut graph of this piece is essentially that. Emo now represents sort of the vanguard of indie rock or sort of like where the best indie rock is coming from.
1: I would say, yeah, this is kind of a, it's, it's a little, you kind of have to speak in abstract and like kind of coded language about it. But I think like when you're like, Emo now has just become kind of like this. It, it, it basically, it, it's basically what you use to describe Almost any form of rock that doesn't come from like a handful of labels. <laughs> right. Like if it's on sub, like you know, there's like sub pop, merge, like Domino, Exit, like all those, you know, bands that um, uh, that are big feeders for like you know year end lists or whatever. But like you know, emo is, it, it, it just kind of describes a, a version of like indie rock that kind of deviates. Like it's still populist and it's still very you know, it's not very hard to grasp stuff um, and it is popular and I think there are bands who like want to be popular in that world but it, it can describe like to me, um, you know, any band on like say run for cover, like I mean, even like Alex G is not an emo artist but like in some sort of way he affiliates with that. It's just basically anything that isn't, it, that, it, basically anything that's outside of what I call like the winner circle, you know, um, Which is a very small
3: yeah. circle, by the way. Uh, there, yeah. there, there aren't that many bands in this. I mean, like a band like Pinegrove, for instance, gets lumped yeah. into sort of the emo tag. Although when I oh. listen to that band, they sound like an indie rock band in a lot of ways from the from the aughts.
1: Oh, absolutely, but you know they kind of come from that. They come from that world. They were on run like if they were on say. Dead oceans, or secretly Canadian, rather than run for cover, which is the same label that has modern baseball and uh, um, who are, like um, basement and bands of that nature. Um, you know, perhaps they could be one of those bands that quote win, wins twenty sixteen or whatever. But like I can tell you from my own experience, it took it took a lot of time to convince people that. Um, this band is, like, is bringing something to the table, really, um, that, you because, know, you know, when I saw them earlier this year, they they tour with bands like Into It, Over It, and, uh, well, Beautiful Place, Sidekicks, and, you know, they still do that to a certain degree, um, because, like, you know, like most things, the way we describe music is mostly based on affiliation rather than sound. I mean, right. Like, so There's a reason that, like, you know, a band on run for cover, like, Pedal or Pity Sex is, you know, they're pretty straightforward indie bands that They may call emo you know, or ask like a band like Wax the Hatchy or Swear and it's not, even though they have much more like lyrically in that. So I mean
3: Or a band like Joyce Manor, which I could yeah. e- I could easily see Joyce Manor being on a label like Matador. You know, and, and when you talk yeah. to Barry from and Barry was a guest on Celebration Rock this uh, season, uh, you know, his influences are not really in, emo influences. I mean, he was talking oh, about like, Guided By I, voices as yeah. being his favorite band.
1: Yeah. They, they talk to me about like, whoa. And, and you know, when you talk to like the hotel year, they like books and the microphones and like, you know, the microphones are like a huge influence on that realm. But, um, it's sort of, and when I say it's like, the, it, to me, it's like the indie rock, like the version of, like, if indie rock has kind of kept going. And like, for in other words, if it like, if you take the early, 2000 stuff like you know microphones and um you know books and uh you know maybe like the elephant six kind of stuff carrying over from the 90s you kind of put it in there with like modest mouse and arcade fire and you just kind of it, it's like that stuff that kind of combines it all and keeps going it never really um i don't know never really got into the whole like you know car commercial sync sort of thing going on you know um, and, that, and, that, and that's why it's exciting to me. It's like, you know, they're, they're bands that kind of take, like, especially like the world is a beautiful place. I mean, you know, they also take in bands like Thursday and Explosions in the Sky, where it kind of views indie rock as being this, like,
3: massive,
1: nebulous sort of thing, whereas, you know, some of the indie rock bands that I'm least excited about are ones that draw strictly from Pavement and Built a Spill, but Just in Dinosaur Jr. and just those and, you know, that's why it kind of bums me out to see um, it, you know, bands of this nature kind of not taken all that seriously because I think it really can, um, you know, connect with people who love, who love that older, you know, version of indie rock, but um, just haven't found it, uh, you know, these days. And, yeah you know, it's, it's yeah you know, it it's bums me because like, you know, the bands that are currently the leading lights of indie rock, I mean, you know, and, you know, I like real estate don't get me wrong I, I like that band I like War on Drugs or whatever but it's not, it doesn't have that same unpredictability and excitement that you know reminds me of like why I got into this stuff in the first place you know and you put it up against you know the big pop music and, and of course indie rock's gonna sound kind of you know drab and Well, to me, Uh, well,
3: I I don't think it's a matter of being drab and boring. I think it's a matter of accepting that not everything has to be this imperial music that is everywhere, uh, you know, that there's, I mean, to me what, you know, and we've been kind of getting locked into this in, in, in this podcast, but like, I hate this assumption that's sort of baked into music conversations now that if you're not popular, you need to get super popular. And if you don't get super popular, then you've failed. You know that there ought to be a place for bands that can pack an 800-person club or a you know or or 2,000-seat theater, and that ought to be sort of recognized as being significant for like what that music is. Not everything has to be ubiquitous everywhere in your face. As a matter of fact, I feel like what's refreshing about a lot of these groups is that they aren't tweeting a million times a day and that they don't have Instagram (laughs) accounts. I mean, like one of our favorite bands, a band that's going to be putting on a record in 2017 is Japan droids. I think that they're a hugely a great band and they don't care about any of these things. And I think that ought to be recognized as being valid and relevant that there is something to be said for making art Mm -hmm. in a way that's just not trying to be huge you know that you can you know to me if we think in this mentality all the time about music it just crowds a lot of worthwhile music out of the picture um and i don't think it does these bands you know i don't think we're serving these bands well to constantly put this pressure on them that they always had to be bigger than what they are maybe what they are is what they should be you know they doesn't need to be a pop thing necessarily mm-hmm.
1: well i mean do you think that not happening like do you think they're not getting their record because i mean bands are still being able to, you know these bands are still you know being able to play you know pretty significantly you go to a modern baseball show they're doing quite well yeah
3: they are you know look i i am voicing my frustration with certain things that i see in the media and i'm probably okay. overreacting a bit um, uh, I, 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 I just I get irritated well. by these narratives being recycled over and over again. Um, I think that there's a, there's a mentality in, in sections of the music press that acts as though there are sort of like gatekeepers, certainly maybe in the indie music community, that are like snobs about pop music and that are sort of always going to push guitar bands so that, they're, so that they feel the need to be reactionary to those elements yeah. when those elements don't exist anymore. I mean, if you look at the top indie sites, they don't really care about rock music. And that's fine if they don't. That's their prerogative. Um, no, it's
1: not fine. <laughs>
3: well, I mean, well, the way I look at it is, is that there, there, there are going to be other places that rise up to address yeah. those audiences. And you can already see okay. that happening. And to me, that's exciting. You know, like to me, like Pitchfork, Pitchfork's been around for 20 years. I think it's, some, it's time for someone else to react to Pitchfork the way that Pitchfork reacted to Rolling Stone. In the well, 90s I I
1: think, fans, I think have been trying to do that for years to be honest with you and we've seen them you know just from my own experience and like this is just me talking to someone who's like written for just like every place out there it's like you know I think any place that um, makes it explicitly to like react to them or whatever is just kind of setting itself up for. but
3: well you don't have to make it like explicit it. it doesn't have to I mean no, I, 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 I it, it shouldn't be I, I'm just saying that nothing lasts forever okay and and the way things are right now is not going to last forever and that there is and i already think it's happening that things are bubbling up um that are re- cuz look i mean to me the great thing about these bands is that there's a whole scene that's been existing that has been ignored by the media for years and still found a way to survive and now you see it thriving and i think it's good that bands like that get exposure but i think they've proven that they don't need the media and I think that is yeah. that's a that's a source of strength because if you rely, because the media is fickle if you rely on the media to write nice things about you um, I think you're going to be hurt in the end. It's about I agree. Re, it's about reaching people making a connection and I think yeah. a lot of these bands have proven that they can do that
1: Yeah, but I mean just coming from Harvard like I think, and one thing I I'm certainly guilty of is feeling is if like, you know media is like the um connection between uh, you know these bands and like you know bigger forms of success or whatever but you know I think that um, uh, I I think the conversation in 2017 will be a bit different just simply because um, a lot of the bigger acts of 2016 I mean like you know Uh, industry, we gotta, we gotta fucking talk about something, man.
2: <laughs> right. And
1: I think you know that could, it could be you know it may be like an off, like a um, you know rising tide lifts off boat sort of thing where people are like interested. I'm really interested to see the reaction to that record because, uh, you know, it's everything that we talk about and everything that we kind of want for, um, you know, you know, for for this world to, you know, and it's right there on display for the first time in five years, you know.
3: So I, I just want to briefly run down your top five. Your top five records were "Goodness" by The Hotel Year, number one. Number two, "Worry" by Jeff Rosenstock. Number three, the 1975, I Like It When You Sleep, For You Are So Beautiful Yet So Unaware of It. Number four, Car Seat Headrest, Teens in Denial. And number five, Cymbals, E. Guitars, Pretty Years. My top five was one. number one, Teens in Denial, Car Seat Headrest. Number two, Puberty 2 by Mitski. Number three, Drive-By Truckers, American Band, a band that you have slagged on Twitter. I'm going uh, But we're going to set that aside. Uh, <laughs> number four, what was my number four record? I don't have this in front of me. Oh, it was Pinegrove, Cardinal, and number five was Big Thief, a band from Brooklyn that we have not talked about, but a great band. Uh, their record was masterpiece.
1: Out of those, ba-
3: so there's a lot of other great records that we could talk about, but let's just kind of focus on each of our top fives. Out of this kind of class of 2016, what band do you expect to kind of? still be around and still be making great records in, in, in 10 years. Like what, like, like like who is the, who is the the hottest prospect for oh, legacy okay. band status coming out of
1: 2016? Yeah. I mean, I would, lo- I would love for that to be the hotel year. I can also see them like completely like taking a different tack, but like, you know, because they, they, one of the things that makes them so exciting and the same, I would say about the world is my favorite record, 2015 is that they're, they're they're very unstable in an exciting sort of way. Not in the sense of like a replacement sort of way. Um, but you know, they could completely say, Yeah, if we said what we wanted, let's like, just call it a day. So, um but I think their body I mean, they've released two like those released like two like und- indis- undisputable classic records in my opinion. And their like legacy is safe, but I I think Carsey has been making records for a while. Whether or not they're at the level of of denial, that remains to be seen, but I see them as having a very sustainable um, sort of career. I think Pine Grove can certainly, you know, they're they're a band that can only go up, like they can make the same record next time, but I think it'll be a bigger deal because more people kind of know what they're about. Um, I think it'll be very interesting to see what the next 1975 <laughs> record is. Um, they could easily have like a killers or smashing Pumpkins sort of thing happen with them where they just get like, so, um, oversized or they could, you know, continue to make very challenging, you know, very challenging forms of music. Um, and I think Jeff's done the top music right now where, um, you know, I, I don't know if like he needs to make 10 years worth of music right now, but, um, what I see going forward, like, I think Carpe Headrests and Mitski are like are acts that are going to be, I guess, flagship sort of things kind of going forward. I, I see them as, you know, putting together like a continuous body of work that is supported and challenging, and um, you know, and show up on year-end lists. Like even if, like even if they're, like they're even if like in 2020 they make like maybe their third or fourth best record. Still,
3: the kind of show up on that Yeah, I yeah, I'm with you on car seat headrest. I mean, again, that was my number one record of the year. I'm going to dispute something you said earlier. I don't think "Teens of Denial" is so far ahead of, say, a record that Will Toledo put out in 2011. Um, yeah. The uh, the the name is escaping me right now. I got to Google this quick. Twin on? Fantasy, uh, his record, Twin Fantasy, yeah. which I think is a, a great record, and also the EP that he put out in 2014, "How to Leave Town." I think it's a really good record as well, Um, but I think he's already proven that he's he's already put together a pretty cool cool body of work, and I think he's definitely poised to move forward. You know, Pine Grove to me is an interesting band because you know, like you said, that record in a way I think for for a lot of people came out of nowhere. Uh, There weren't you know they had done I think one record before that, or at least a bunch of EPs compilation, compilation. and um. Wasn't a huge awareness of that band But it was a group that I feel like like I know like when I recommended that record to people I would often hear back From people saying, like, oh I love that record I'm playing it over and over again And I, I feel like it was one of those types of albums Also true of the Big Thief record uh, Masterpiece Which came out this summer Didn't have quite the amount of buzz that Pine Grove did But I think that's a band that will be interesting To see going forward But Pine Grove to me, in a way, they remind me of the national, you know, like when they around alligator time. Not so much in how they sound, but just in the sort of quality of the record in that, you know, the National wasn't a band that was ever gonna bowl anyone over with how flashy they were or how sexy the narrative was or like how dynamic the music was. It was definitely a record that you had to sort of spend time with and fall in love with over time. And to yeah. me the Pine Grove record, Cardinal, was a lot like that too. It was a record that if you heard it once you might think it was okay, but if you heard it 20 times, you, chances are you would totally love it by that point. So they're a band that um, I could see, you know, if they can hold it together and, and 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 keep it going. They're a band that I think could cross over and have a nice career and, and still be making yeah. really good records. Um, so I think we agree on Carsey Headrest, and I think you're right about mitsky too being another one to look look uh, for and i put pine grove in there as well as like kind of a potential legacy band like they'd be like this wasn't their first record but they're sort of like a rookie of the year for me yeah uh coming out of 2016 um i also wanted to say quick too about your spin article i didn't appreciate this the the shade thrown at war on drugs which is a band i know you like I think you said they were, like, music for, like, beer sipping or something like that.
1: Well, what I mean by that is, like, War on Drugs is, like, real estate. Um, and, you know, maybe War on Drugs, like, don't belong in that, like, sort of thing. But I, I would say that um, I mean that in, like, a positive way where, you know, there are bands that, you know, can sound good at barbecues or whatever. That, like, <laughs> there's It's not necessarily, like, I mean, granted, there are bands who I will absolutely 100% throw shade at, but... um well you know I think just when you like um you, you, when you look at like say, like Mac and Marco as well or like those sort of bands, it's not like war of drugs is more like a rock element to it, but it's not like from like kind of like a punk sort of uh standpoint like um one of the one of the it's it's not something that when you think about it, it's like you know people kind of like wilding out over it or whatever. Um, and yeah, I think like war on drugs, like people do kind of vibe out to it. Same with Tame and Pala. I would say the same thing about that. It's like, you know, it's, it's very, um, it's kind of easy to like, um, which isn't a bad thing, but, um, I would say that it's just kind of, it, it's music to kind of vibe out to in a way, um, regardless of like what goes into it.
3: Yeah. I, you know, I just have to say that. Like they, they don't have
1: that same sense of, like, instability or, like, that, that I that I tend to love. Um, you know, like even, like, the National uh, Alligator, you know, they, they don't have their, you know, Law and drugs doesn't really have, like, you know, like, a Mr. October or, like, Lit Up or whatever, like, things like that. I mean, they rock, but, like, it's not, like, it's nothing that would be, like, overly offensive to anyone's sensibilities. Like, you can throw that on and be pretty sure that everyone's
3: going to like it well okay i mean i don't know if that's necessarily true but i mean it, you know we should maybe table that conversation yeah. for another episode because i gotta let you go uh so rob can come on but uh ian it's always great talking with you i i definitely would recommend check uh seeking out the piece that he wrote for spin about the year and emo is great and uh seek out ian on on twitter it's uh, Ian under like, M thing Cohen. Or you can just yeah. look up Ian Cohen Twitter on Google, it'll probably come up. Um, but Ian, but, Ian, but but thanks again, man. I appreciate it. That's and uh, we'll talk again soon.
1: Yeah, hold off on, on having more kids, man. We've got
3: your right go back to talk about, man. We'll be going right <laughs> on Yeah, we will I will be back. Uh, you know I had a kid at the end of 2016 but you know she, she'll be all grown up by early 2017 so I'll be ready to rock all right. and uh, do yeah, more podcasts alright
1: have a good one
3: alright man take care alright that was Ian Cohen my good friend now living in Kentucky we didn't get to talk about Kentucky I really like Kentucky I think he's in Lexington uh, which is a city I've stayed in a couple of times very beautiful lots of horses in that part of the country Lots of rolling green hills. A great place to listen to My Morning Jacket and drive around. Um, so that was Ian talking about the best records of the year and, and annoying Rock is Dead narratives. Uh, and now I want to bring on my friend Rob Mitchum. Rob, of course, uh, he's a music critic. He's written for places like, like Pitchfork. Uh, I think he's best known for writing for there. Um, but uh, he does this thing on the side as sort of a hobby where every year he creates this spreadsheet and he tabulates what the consensus is for the best records of the year by taking the list from all these different places. And uh, it's a pretty interesting list. And it's also, you know, again, it's a good way to kind of break down how publications make these lists. And it's a really kind of telling document showing really how homogeneous lists were this year if you got the feeling when you were looking at lists that you saw the same records over and over again uh, that wasn't your imagination that actually happened and if you look at rob's spreadsheet you can see exactly how often it did happen uh so i talked about that with rob um i thought it was a really fun talk so uh without further ado here is rob mitchum all right so uh this is Rob Mitchum. This is your first time on the podcast. Thanks for coming on. Yeah,
0: thanks for having me, Steve.
3: So um, I wanted to have you on because every year you have this project where you basically take all of the sort of major year-end lists from websites and music magazines, and you enter them into this spreadsheet, and you, it's sort of a way to tabulate which artists are doing the best on these year-end lists. Like, Do I have that right? Is that sort of a a nutshell?
0: Yeah, there are, I guess, I think several ways you can use it. Um, Yeah, sort of the idea was, like, let's make a list of lists, which (laughs) takes all of the different album of the year lists that are out there on different music websites and get them into one place. Uh, And from there, you can sort of slice the data around a number of different ways to uh, figure out uh, many different things about the year in music.
3: Now... This is a little bit different than, say, Metacritic. You know, Metacritic puts out a year-end list, but what they're doing is they're compiling scores from the reviews that ran when the record came out, and that's how they compile that list, whereas you are actually taking the rankings from the year-end lists, and that's how your list is made.
0: It, exactly, yes, uh, and that, I think, probably gives a little better idea of the year-end music, um, as you know as a fellow music critic uh sort of the thinking about an album can change uh as it gets a little older uh and usually by the end of the year uh it's kind of locked in what people think about a given album um either from you know their own opinion or sort of you know what the list does is take uh gather sort of consensus opinions from different websites and then make sort of a uber consensus of all the of all the lists, so you're not really getting individual opinions aggregated at some point you're just getting sort of uh a, a broader view
3: and it's fascinating to look at your spreadsheet i mean you know especially you know like when you when you're compiling it you're you're sort of tweeting about it as you're compiling it you know because the lists are coming out at the end of November, and then there's about a two or three week run where it's almost like a list is coming out every day, so like if you follow Rob on Twitter, you can kind of see how this list evolve, And you can really kind of see in real time which narratives from the year have gathered the most momentum. And, and how that sort of influences how these lists shake out. Um, I, I, I'm just going to run down the top ten uh, on your spreadsheet. Uh, and this is, again, this is called from year-end list. These are the records that kind of came out the best. Number one, David Bowie. Number two, Frank Ocean. Number three, Solange. Number four, Radiohead, which, by the way, man, okay, you and I talked about this uh, earlier, but, you know, I never thought I'd have to tell millennial critics not to overrate Radiohead. It's amazing to me that that record came in at number four, but I know it's not just millennial critics who voted for that, but, man, that seems high. Um, Number five, Beyonce. uh, Number six, Angel Olsen. Number seven, A Tribe Called Quest. Number eight, Kanye West. Number nine... Bonnie Bear and number ten, Nick Cave, which surprised me to see that rank so high. I don't. Is that like from British magazines or something?
0: Yeah. So one thing I've done is, and I have done this the last few years with the spreadsheet is, I take, uh, I, I do a separate tab on the spreadsheet, which where I take just the U.S. publications and just the British publications uh and if you look at that tab you can see that nick cave is actually number two only bowie beat nick cave wow in uh the english uh music magazines this year so he has sort of a uh a, a hometown bias in his favor i think
3: now when i was looking at your spreadsheet i was slightly surprised that beyonce wasn't number two because right? it just seemed like every list that i saw either had david bowie at number one or beyonce at number one i guess solange started kind of coming up at the end. I think she was number one on the Pitchfork list. Um, But, uh, I mean, was Beyonce, like, hurt in any particular area? Because, I mean, like, what explains her coming in at number five?
0: Yeah, yeah, I think that was the biggest surprise for me, too. Like, if you had asked me at the start, I would have said Bowie was going to jump out to a big lead because the British publications tend to put out their list earlier, uh, largely because they still have that, old dinosaur of a uh, print magazines in England.
2: <laughs> yeah. uh, so
0: they have to get their lists together uh, well in advance of the end of the year for just printing issues. Um, so I was like, okay, Bowie, all the British mags are going to go for Bowie, and then Beyonce will catch up as all the American sites come in and all the websites come in because she's going to do a lot better online. Um, but actually that didn't happen, and not only did Beyonce not pass Bowie, but her sister passed her right at the very end So the last few lists. Pushed uh, Solange up to number three, and uh, Bowie, or I'm sorry, Beyonce, uh, had already dropped down to number five by that point. So, a couple things going on there. I think um, one is that while, well, so Beyonce finished number two if you just count the U.S. magazines. So you might expect that she would have come out number one in the U.S., but you know, number two is not too bad. Uh, she <laughs> almost missed the top ten in the U.K. Wow. And I think the UK magazines uh, or websites kind of skew a little more experimental. There's a bunch of sort of classic Rocky magazines, which uh, frankly aren't going to be ranking Beyonce either. Um, but then there's like stuff like Quiet, The Quietus and The Wire, which are into more sort of ex- experimental music. Um, a lot of those magazines surprisingly liked Solange a lot. Uh, the Quietus had Solange at number two. Uh, but then didn't rank Beyoncé at all. So when you have, the way I run my statistics, if you don't appear on a list at all, it actually is a penalty uh, to your sort of final score. So the fact that Solange appeared on more lists by hitting these sort of experimental lists as well as the more general music uh, audience-friendly lists uh, was enough to push her past Beyoncé in the end.
3: Now, you know, I know that you're approaching this from sort of a, Purely data-driven scientific point of view, but like the music critic in you, like or or, or the person that consumes a lot of music media, like, do you have any conspiracy theories about like why this would be like? Like to me, I wonder: is there any impulse to put Solange ahead of Beyonce because like that is sort of reacting against what's expected? Like, did you like when you look at these lists? Like, do you ever feel like the lists? that come out a little bit later are reacting to lists that come out earlier? I mean, there's no way to prove that, but is there a feeling there?
0: um, I I think if they are, it's pretty small. And I think just because like, this is one reason why I pick staff lists instead of individual lists is that it's harder to kind of play games with that stuff. If you're taking a sort of staff consensus about what was the best albums of the year, instead of just one person's, like, for instance, uh, your list came out late in list season, um, and I, you even wrote into your article that you were trying to feature some albums that hadn't been in every list before that. Right. that's it, not nefarious on your part. It's actually, like, good, right? If you're, you're trying to actually, like, bring people's attention to music they might have missed if they had just read a thousand lists with Beyoncé and Radiohead and Bon Iver on it. Right. Um, so, uh, but with a staff list, uh, you know, stuff that, cuts across genres and cuts across audiences tends to rise to the top. Um, So it's a lot harder to do that kind of manipulative stuff at the end, I would think. Um, What I really think might be going on um, is that this year, well, I mean, I think the weird thing about this year was that there were so many albums that came out that were sort of pre-labeled as capital I important albums. Right. And they were going to get good reviews no matter what. And they were like already written in in pen on the year-end list (laughs) uh, as soon as they came out. Um, And so this year, I think, more than all the other years I've collected data on, you see the same albums in the top 10. The top 10s are pretty much the same, or they're at least all pulling from about 12 to 15 albums. Um, They're just kind of in a different order on each website. Uh, So people were kind of, I guess, making... Staking their claim, not necessarily on which albums they put in the top ten, but which order they put them in, was really the only sort of flexibility, I guess, uh, for putting your own imprint on this year in music uh, when you put out your list. The other thing, and this is a sort of the boring like theory about why that might be, is that I think it works a lot like the Oscars, where you get all these album or albums, sorry, you get movies released at the end of the year so that they're fresh in people's mind when they're voting for the Academy Awards and uh, it might have just been that Solange came out later than Beyonce which came out really early in the year if you remember. Um, The same thing happened with Bowie. Bowie came out I think the first release date of 2016 Um, but for you know a number of non-musical reasons Bowie was sort of kept in everybody's uh, consciousness for the entire year and got that late push.
3: Yeah, I mean, I like Black Star. I think it's a good record. I think I had it, like, in my 20s or or lower 30s um, on on my list. Um, But, you know, it it is hard to argue against the fact that, like, if he hadn't have died right after that record came out, that I, I have a hard time believing that it would be the sort of consensus number one on every list.
0: Yeah, the weird thing that happened with that is, for the first time this year, you know, a lot of sites do sort of, around the end of June, do like a first half of the year list. Um, So I decided to go ahead and throw all those into the spreadsheet and see who the winner was as of, say, July 1st. Uh, And Bowie was actually fifth. Like, he wasn't even close to first. And that was, you know, nearer to his death than, you know, November, December. So it's a little curious to me that he, uh, Beyonce was like far and away number one in July, but then she faded and Bowie came back, and that I don't have an answer for. I think it's uh, just was a weird quirk where everybody looked back on the year and decided that uh, his, I think more his death than his album was sort of the defining musical moment of the year.
3: Yeah, and yeah, I mean there was also this idea that 2016 was was like a doom laden year. maybe people felt like black star was more representative of that you know uh this sort of foreboding album about mortality um again that's just the conspiracy theory with that um you, you touched on this earlier about how this year was it's i think you said that it was like more so the case this year that the top 10 records on people's you know, from different publications, tended to be the same. It was only a matter of which order you were going to put it in. Can you talk about that? I guess in reference to other years. I mean, how much worse was it this year? Because I mean, it did seem that when you when you would look at these lists, that it was that it was very monochromatic. That it was it, that people were kind of drawing from the same fifteen records, and that at the top you know the top three it was either going to be bowie or beyonce and then i guess solange kind of came in at the end um i mean is there a way to measure i guess stagnation on these lists or i mean how does this year compare to other years in that respect
0: yeah so my like statistics are not very fancy on the spreadsheet but i do have what i call a consensus score which kind of takes this into account like how ubiquitous were, were the albums on, you know, different publications lists in a given year. Uh, this year, as I said, like, is striking because while there was sort of a clear winner at the end, like, but we led from wire to wire this year while I was collecting the data, uh, there was sort of this pack of albums that pretty much go all the way down to, I would say, like, Anderson .Paak, um, or maybe Mitski, like, those Sort of top 15 uh, seemed to populate the top 10 of you know almost every list. Uh, you know, other than you know a wild card pick here or there from different sites. Um, that was unusual. I hadn't seen that in previous years. Last year the story was that everybody put Kendrick Lamar number one, and then it was a free for all right below that. Um, so that actually made for kind of an interesting year because you didn't see really the same top tens over and over again. Um, the rest of the top 10 tended to reflect sort of the unique, uh, perspective of each different site. Um, and then like 2014 was wide open where there wasn't a clear winner. Uh, and so it was way more eclectic as far as who people put number one, as far as who people put in their top 10. Like, I don't know if you cheated before, uh, this call, but did you, can you remember who the consensus winner was in 2014? No, it was FKA twigs. Okay. Seems like a million years ago now. (laughs) But it was pretty much down to her and St. Vincent and War on Drugs and Run the Jewels. They just kind of swapped uh, places for number one that whole year. So, like, I'm used to seeing more of a dogfight at the top, I guess. Um, But this one was more, while there wasn't much drama for number one, it was, like, all these, the next 14 sort of shuffling places. Uh, So, I mean, it depends on how, like, you approach your end lists, like, what you want to get out of them. Like, if you really see them as establishing a narrative for the year, it kind of seemed like everybody had the same narrative for the year. In fact, uh, you know, beyond what albums they listed, I'm pretty sure 80% of the lists, like the articles, the features, uh, on these websites, started with saying something like 2016 was a terrible year. Um, <laughs> but the uh, it, it, so as like a narrative, it was kind of like everybody kind of got on the same like page and with the same albums, and that could get pretty dull after a while if you read all of these things like a crazy person. Um, but as far as like music discovery, it was a little more challenging this year, I think, because you didn't get these albums popping up in the top 10 that you were like, man, I hadn't even heard of that, or that wasn't on my radar, or I'm really surprised this site ranked this one so high. So I got to check that out right away.
3: Yeah, I mean, I think one thing that your spreadsheet makes clear is that if people believe that websites and publications are just ranking like records that they really like, I kind of feel like your spreadsheet debunks that. I, I really think that most of these publications approach their lists as, you know, this is what we're going to say is important. You know, this is what sort of defines the year. It's not necessarily what we love or speaks most personally to us, although it may do that as well, you know, in addition to. But, like, I I think it really kind of comes down to saying, like, well, this, you know, we we can't not put these in our top ten, you know, because they have sort of a, a greater importance that goes beyond just sort of the the personal taste of any one person or, or or even like a body of, of writers. So I think that's why you end up with a list that is, you know, almost all legacy acts. I guess Angel Olsen is like the wild card. And I guess maybe Solange in a way is, uh, is a wild card uh, in terms of, you know, being like a younger artist that doesn't have as big of a body of work, but it really is about sort of big time people making grand statements that are supposed to be sort of reflective of something bigger than just themselves. Um, which I don't think is necessarily invalid when you're going to make a list, especially if you're an institution speaking to, you know, what you think the best records of the year are. Um, but it does sort of end up being an echo chamber for like what other people have said and maybe even what you've kind of written during the year before that. Um, and it, it makes these lists kind of seem anticlimactic. I mean, do you feel like these lists look this way as a way, almost as a reflection of, of the way the media is now? Or, I mean, will next year be different maybe if there aren't as many like like kind of superstar records that come out?
0: Yeah, I think this was definitely a strange year for just having a lot of superstar records coming out. Um, and like you know before i said they were all kind of labeled capital i important um they would i would also kind of describe them as like too big to fail albums <laughs> right um and it was also they were also albums that i felt like any music critic felt like they had to hear
2: right
0: like you couldn't be a music critic if you didn't listen to and have an opinion on lemonade for instance um and that gives them an automatic advantage because i think it's a little bit like national politics in a way in that you need to build coalitions to sort of get the votes you need to pop you up to the top uh so if you have an album like for instance like i if i was asked to do a list i would have put jeff rosenstock at number one and you had him in the top ten as well uh but he appeared on one list exactly one list right uh, and finished like in the 230s or something like that on my spreadsheet uh, that Jeff Rosenstock album, if you listen to punk rock, you probably put in your top 10. Um, but did anybody who doesn't, uh, listen to punk rock, you know, seek out that album? Probably not. Um, for a lot of different reasons. One it came out kind of late. It didn't get a lot of coverage. Uh, the guys got kind of a generic name for better or worse. <laughs> uh, and so people are like, Oh, I can't wait to hear that. I got to hear this Jeff Rosenstock guy. Like that sounds amazing. <laughs> um, so, but an album like Beyonce, you know, whether you're a metalhead or a punk guy or a hip-hop guy or whatever, uh, you felt like you needed to hear that. And I even joked that, like, having Jack White on her album was like picking a vice president from a state you didn't think you were going to win because (laughs) that got all the rock critics like, oh, now she's playing with Jack White. i got to check this out. Like all the, you know, sort of old, raucous newspaper guys that are still left. Um, So I think it's like that. It's like if an album is an event, everybody's going to hear it. Um, And so if it's an event and it's, pretty good it's going to show up at the top of a lot of lists uh just because once you take sort of consensus opinion of a whole staff uh the stuff that was listened to enough was listened to by everybody is has a natural advantage for obvious reasons
3: i I wonder too like how much of this is motivated by um sort of the the natural like the centrifugal force of conformity you know like you don't want to be the one Major publication that didn't have Lemonade in your top ten. You don't want to be the one that didn't have Black Star. So then you have this sort of core of records that like can't not be in your top ten. And if there's enough of those records it ends up being your entire top ten. Like to me there's a sort of latent conservatism with a lot of this where you know you're looking over your... I think maybe people aren't conscious of this necessarily but I do feel like there's like some looking over your shoulder a little bit and not wanting to be the one who's perceived to be sort of out of it or out of touch so you end up sort of repeating what uh, everyone else is saying i mean cuz now i mean it's so it's so easy to know what other publications are doing what other r- rock critics are thinking what they're saying what the opinion is you know sort of the uh, it's like the hom- the homogenization that comes from social media, in a way, you know, because we the chatter is constant. People know what everyone else is thinking, and it kind of ends up turning musical opinion into sort of like one big gruel that is that kind of tastes the same and gets served up by everybody. Um, I mean, I I feel like that's apparent when I look at how these numbers break down.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's it certainly would be seen as much more of a statement uh, if you were to leave Beyonce out entirely (laughs) versus, you know, just following the crowd and putting her in somewhere in the top ten. Or even to say
3: that, like, you thought that the Rihanna record was better. You're going to put Rihanna at number one and you're not going to put Beyonce in the top ten. Like, it doesn't even, you know, like, you're going to vote for another pop franchise versus the other, Uh, you know, something like that. Like, I thought we'd maybe see something like that even, but even that didn't happen.
0: Well, I think the people that put Solange over beyonce, I think that was that kind of became a sub narrative of like we're going for the the less likely of the two knolls sort of thing <laughs> like look how look how revolutionary we are um but i mean it's kind it's a trap right for these sites, like you're either going with consensus and it's boring or you're being sort of as we were talking about like contrarian, like being uh manipulative in saying. Like no, actually, Solange was better than beyonce uh I mean I'm being perce- you risk being perceived as being manipulative if you do that, I guess um, I mean there are sites out there uh, that do just kind of do their own thing, and those tend to be my favorite lists uh like for the quietest, I think does an amazing list every year and they, it gives you a lot to listen to, because there's stuff I've never even heard of on there, and then it's sprinkled in with stuff that I have heard of, but it shows up in surprising places. And So it's kind of like you know, different sites are there to give you different kinds of lists, depending on what you want to get out of a year-end list. Um, one thing we haven't talked about yet is that there was a lot of amazing writing on these lists this year, too. So even if you do have a really boring list as far as which albums are selected, uh, what people take the time to say about the album uh can i guess sort of redeem it uh as you know a worthwhile enterprise at the end of the year
3: and you will read that and i will read that and other writers will read those blurbs and then everyone else will just look at the rankings (laughs) right
0: it's true (laughs) it does kind of you know as a it does seem a little bit hopeless yeah i mean you look (laughs) at
3: twitter you look at twitter and it's like other writers saying oh great blurbs here you know like but Whereas all normal people are just arguing about the rankings. you know, like the, <laughs> No one's talking about the blurbs unless you actually have written blurbs for a living. Um, well, Rob, very interesting, I, I, and if you want to, I guess, what, what is the easiest way to access this spreadsheet if people want to see it?
0: Yeah, yeah, so the, the best way to get there is probably through my website, um, which is io. Uh, if you go there, there's a link to the Album of the Year Spreadsheet Project, uh, and you can see this year's, you can see previous years. Um, I should put in a plug for the interactive visualization I made with my friend Diego garcia uh, We, So I guess we've been talking a lot about sort of what it says about music writing in general, but um, what I really like to use the data for is music discovery, like finding the albums that I missed during the year, uh, which you can do with the spreadsheet. It just takes, you know, sort of a lot of scrolling and picking things at random. So what we decided to do was create sort of a visualization that makes it easier to pick an album you know you like, and then it suggests other albums that were ranked uh, by the same publication or in a similar spot on a list, Uh, it gives you a little information about the genre of each album uh, so that you can sort of connect the dots and find some albums that maybe fell through the cracks. Weren't in every top ten, but we're in the interesting forties of a few different lists, and could end up being your favorite album from this year, even if you missed it entirely. So,
3: well, that sounds great. I highly recommend you all check that out. Rob, thank you for coming on the podcast, man. I hope to have you on again. Uh, we're, next time you're on, we have to talk for like three hours about fish. We'll, we'll just do that.
0: We'll do a fish podcast as long as a
3: fish show. Exactly, and uh, you and I will be the only people that listen to it, but that's okay. Um, but hey Rob thanks again man and uh, have a good new, uh, have a happy new year
0: yep you too Stephen alright man thanks. take care see you later
3: alright that was Rob Mitchum talking about spreadsheets and yes that threat to do a fish podcast uh, I may follow through on that, on that at some point so you've been warned officially that there may be a three hour fish podcast coming at you at some point uh, so you know plan accordingly you know stock up canned goods stock up bottles of water it could be a big thing. Um, I want to thank Rob for coming on the show. Also, Ian, Cohen, uh, Rock Critic Extraordinaire. I want to thank him for coming on as well. Um, this was a really fun episode. I'm kind of sad that there won't be an episode next week. This is sort of a standalone episode because it was just the hiatus from the hiatus. I'm going to go back on hiatus after this episode uh, post. But we'll be back in probably about another month and a half or so. And uh, with a cool new project that I will be talking about soon, Um, I think it'll be a great way to launch the second season of Celebration Rock. Um, I'm excited for you guys to hear that. So thanks again for listening, and I hope you found some good records that you want to check out. And uh, we will talk to you guys uh, very soon. Take care.